Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. Have you been enjoying our mikvah.org podcast? We invite you to dedicate an upcoming episode in honor of a loved one. Please reach out to podcast at mikvah.org. Okay, hi, good evening. Nice to see all these lovely faces. Um, my name is Mrs. Kaya Klein. I've been working for Paris Mishpacha for well, almost 22 years. I'd ask everyone to please turn off your sound on your phones, put it to vibrate. And again, as Dina said, please save all questions for the end because it gets very disruptive. I lose my train of thought, and then we wind up going off onto tangents, and we want to get everything covered. So you have paper and pencil here, write it down, and I'm happy to answer any questions at the end of the session. Okay, so tonight's class is on Hefsik Tahara and Shevan Um First of all, what's very important for us to know is that the, thank you, the, what's very important for us to know is that every mitzvah that we do is important. Not only is the doing of the mitzvah, the performance of the mitzvah important, actually getting it done, but actually the way we do it is very important. How do we come to a mitzvah? We learn that every mitzvah that we do creates a malach. What kind of malach are we going to create with our action? And also, every mitzvah that we do, as we know, the word mitzvah has the word is associated with the word savta, which means a connection. We learn in Tanya that every mitzvah that we do enhances and strengthens the connection of our neshama to the Abishter. So what kind of relationship do we want to have with the Abishter? That's a choice that we can consciously make. And it's visible in the way we perform a mitzvah. There's actually a very beautiful story that really illustrates this very well. There was a story told about Rab Gavriel and his wife, Chan Rivka. They, he was a chassid of the Alter Rebbe. And they had been married for 25 years, but they were not blessed with children. Rabbi Gavriel was a very uh, successful merchant in the town of Vitebsk. And unfortunately, his fortune took a turn for the worst, and he lost all of his wealth and was barely scraping by when one day the Alter Rebbe called him and said that he was counting on him to raise a certain amount of money for Pidyon Shvuim, to free a prisoner, a yid that had been imprisoned. And he says, Gavriel, we're counting on you to provide this certain amount of money. And Gavriel didn't say anything. He said, okay. He went home, extremely distraught, and told his wife what the Alter Rebbe had asked him and said, but I don't have that kind of money any longer. I don't know where I'm going to get it from. And she didn't say anything, but when he left the next day, she quietly went into her room, into her box of jewelry, and she took her jewels, her pearls, her precious stones, her gold, and she went and she sold it, which is pretty monumental in and of itself. She raised the amount of money that the Alter Rebbe was counting on, and she came home, and she didn't just hand this money to her husband, but she sat down at her table, 
with a polishing cloth and I guess whatever thing, solution they used to polish things in those days. And she polished every single coin until it glowed. And then she put them all into the, a bag. And when her husband came home, she said, here is the money that the Altarebbe needs. He said, where did you get it from? And of course, she told him what she had done. And he was blown away. And he took the bag of coins and he went to the Altarebbe. And he puts it on the table. And he says, here is the money that the Rebbe asked for. And the Rebbe opens the bag. And as he opens the bag, this glow was emitted from the bag from the coins. And he was lost in thought for a moment. And then he said to Rebbe Gavriel, how did you come by these coins? And Rebbe Gavriel told him the whole story. And the Alter Rebbe was lost in thought for a little while. And then he says, do you know that of all of the kalim of the Mishkan, the only thing that glowed was the kior that was made from the mirrors of the women, that the women had given their own copper mirrors. That was the only kli of the Mishkan that actually glowed. And he benched Reb Gavriel. He said, you will be benched with the bracha of children, you and your wife. You will be blessed with good fortune, wealth. And you will be blessed with long life. And you will be blessed with the gift of chen. And he said, close your business in Vitebsk. And I want you to become a merchant who deals in pearls and precious stones. And so it was. Rabbi Gavriel and his wife, Kanarifka, were benched with many children. They enjoyed a long life. And he became known as Gavriel Nase Chaim, because he was known to have such an inordinate amount of chen. Is he not related to the family? I don't know. Good question, but I don't know. It doesn't give his last name, so I don't know. In any case, and he died at the age of 110, and his wife lived him lived two years longer than he did. What this story beautifully, beautifully illustrates is that it's not just the performance of the mitzvah. It wasn't just the fact that she went and sold her jewelry, which was monumental, and got, raised the money, but the fact that she took the time to do this mitzvah with such love and such care and such joy. And this is how we need to do our mitzvahs with the Abishta, because this is the kind of relationship we want to build with the Abishta, right? I mean, put it this way. We've all got friends and acquaintances and people that we call, talk to, or sometimes rely on. Imagine if you picked up the phone and said, oh, hey, Khani, I have an urgency today. Could you help me with it? Uh, does it have to be today? Could it maybe be tomorrow? I'm a little bit busy today. Is it really that important? And so, okay, thank you, Hani. And you hang, you hang up the phone and you pick up the phone and say, Mushki, I really need some help today. I have an urgency. I could use, I can use your help. Whatever it is, I'm there for you. If I could possibly do it, I'm there for you. Which one do you feel warmer towards? Which one do you have a better relationship with? And that is what we have to look and examine it in ourselves. How do we do every mitzvah? How do we come to a mitzvah? Do we come with to it, yei just get it over with, done with, oh go, goodness, I have to? Or do we actually put our heart and soul into it, our love of the Abishter into it, and do it to the very best of our ability? And remember, the Abishter doesn't expect perfection. If he wanted perfection, he would have given the Torah to Malachim. He gave the Torah to us. The only thing perfect about us is that we're perfectly imperfect, and we will mess up, 
and we will make mistakes. But the Abisher knows what's in our heart and what's in our mind when we make those mistakes and knows that we're always trying to do better. So it is up to us. When a person does a mitzvah, he is given a malach to watch over him. It says this in Tanchuma. The Arachaim adds to this and says, when the machshava, the intention, is besimcha, and the action is bishlemus to the very best of our ability, together these create the malach. Every mitzvah should be done to the best of our ability. Now, we count the Shevenakim. In order to count the Shevenakim, we first have to perform a Hefsik Tahara. Now, we know you're all married, so I'm hoping that everybody knows how to. I always forget to bring a Badiku cloth. Well, we'll pretend this napkin is the Badiku cloth. But in any. <laughs> Good for you. Yes, badika cloth. Badika cloth should be everywhere. I I tell my colleagues when I teach them have at least four to six packages on hand at all times. Okay, I'll just take yeah, one. You want you can take it out one. It's your package. I don't want to contaminate the rest of them. No, get get my like, cooties on them or anything. And a pamper. Don't worry. You know, like, uh, yeah. I I used to do those things. Okay. Thank you. I think you gave me two. Fine. Okay. Okay. So first of all, the road to Tahara begins with a badika. And a badika is an internal examination. It badika cloth is also called an aid, a witness, because it acts as a witness to what we cannot see. You know, we don't have like little windows to look inside and see what's going on, though I'm sure everybody would like to have that once in a while. But in any case, where we have to do a badika so that we could actually see what is happening inside our bodies. Now, the, we do badikas for two reasons. One is to prove that all bleeding has stopped, and these are the badikas we're going to discuss today, the badikas for Hefzik and Shevenakim, to prove that bleeding has stopped and remains stopped so that we can get to the mikvah. And the second reason that we do badikas is to see if bleeding has begun, see if there's any blood there. So it's the two ends of the spectrum, to see if it stopped, and to see if it started. Okay, so today we're going to discuss the badikas that we perform to get to the mikvah. A badika, in order for it to be valid, cannot be done with our finger, and it should be done with a natural, a cloth made of natural fabric, cotton. We use cotton. Maybe in the past they used muslin or linen, I don't know. And it should be tightly woven so that nothing escapes through the pattern of the weave of the fabric. It needs to be large enough to cover our finger at minimum to the second joint. So people that have nice little tiny little fingers, not me, uh, will cover it even more. And some people have larger fingers, but it needs to cover to the at least to the second joint. And we want it to cover it, but it's also not very comfortable or easy to do a badika if it's too much fabric. If, if there's nobody here, I think it's more of you can see, can hear better if I'm over here, I think so, no? Oh. God, I'm plugged in. Okay, sorry. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I think it's easier because I don't think down there they... Okay, better for everybody? Okay. So again, so the cloth has to cover. Now, there are different ways to do it. Some people like to do it this way where they put it um, over here and they, at the end, fold it down and then wrap it around. And that 
I personally found my finger would always poke out the end. So I don't know if that would work for everybody. And some people just like to poke it right into the middle and then wrap the excess fabric all around like this. Leave that little tail hanging out. And so, in order for a badika to be valid, it needs to be inserted into your vagina as far as it will go. No one's asked me to take it off or dispose of your hand, so it can only go so far. And you are, the inside of the vagina is actually like a tube. And you are required to make one complete rotation, pressing gently into the internal folds and crevices. Now, the inside of the vagina is not smooth like the back of your hand, but it's rather more like your palm when you fold it up. It's got a lot of internal folds and valleys Little crevices. crevices, yes. It's called, according to Allah. Okay, so we're not, I don't know about you, but my hand doesn't go around 360 degrees, but if you put it in, I find if you kind of visualize this circular shape, and you could start either at the top or at the bottom and go up one side and then turn around and come down or go back to the bottom and come back up. It's easier if you do it with a seder, because if you don't do it with a seder, you're going to go, oh, dun, 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 dun. did I miss the right corner? Did I miss the upper left, lower left side? We're going to question ourselves. So be there, be aware, go in, and consciously visualize this circle, and make sure you just do one round, pressing gently into the folds and crevices. You don't have to do three rounds. You don't have to do six rounds. You have to do one thorough round reaching into all internal folds and crevices. This is a badika. And you know, it's not enough to wipe the outside. It's not enough to just give it a little poke. You have to actually put your finger in and do that rotation. Okay? That is how a badika is done. Now, you're really lucky that we have all these beautiful ready-made badika cloths. But if you ever in your life find yourself stuck somewhere without badika cloths, Go into any supermarket, Walmart, convenience store, buy a package of men's undershirts or baby's undershirts. Get yourself a little craft scissor, and you can cut out badika cloths to your heart's content. You'll probably have enough for like six months. Um, okay, so there is never a reason not to have access to badika cloths. If you are stuck in a situation where you've got nothing except a tissue, do it and ask a Shila later. You use the white underwear. If you, you if you have your white underwear oh, with you, you I'm saying unders. if you find someone. I once had a, a correspondence years ago with a young woman who was traveling. She wound up somewhere where there wasn't a single, a soul to be found that she could buy badika cloths. Realized she had to do a hefsektara and had no badika cloths. And I told her what she could do. You know, some people think we can only use these purchased ones, but I'm telling you that there are other ways. And if you ever find yourself stuck somewhere, I've got to do this badika and I've got nothing. And the stores, I, I have no stores. I don't even know where to go. I'm up in the mountains. I'm somewhere in, in Never Never Land. Use a, use a baby wipe. Use a tissue. Use anything and ask a Shila later. Okay? So use anything. All right. Um, Tampons should not be used to perform a badika because they are stiff and they're not flexible enough to actually reach into the folds and crevices. You really won't know what you're touching because you can't feel it using the tampon. And they also may go pretty deep. 
all right? Remember always to check the cloth before using it on both sides. Always make sure that your hands are clean and free of any stains or cuts or anything that could transfer because al anything that is found on a badika cloth, if you can see it, you cannot ignore it. There's no such thing as, oh, it's just a small piece, oh, I'll just flick it off. And No, you flicked it off, you can't ask, so don't flick it off. Don't blow it off. If it's there and you can see it with your eye, and if you need glasses, put them on, but you don't have to look under a microscope or with a magnifying glass. But if you, normal vision, you can see it, you can't ignore it. Now, if it is one of the okay colors, okay colors being clear, white, pale, pale yellow, blue, or green, and if anyone produces blue or green, please let me know. I'd love to, to take notes. Um, obviously, some point in our history we did, or the Rabbanim wouldn't, uh, wouldn't say anything about it. These, it doesn't matter how much, it could be saturated in any of the okay colors, never a problem. Black and red are always a problem. And every other color of the spectrum is a shyla, a questionable color that requires us to take it, show it to the Rav, and find out is it okay or not okay. A woman has a halachic achrayas, responsibility, to become tahora as soon as she halachically can. And that means we don't just say, oh, it's a shyla, I'll just forget about it, try again tomorrow. No. If it's a shyla, we ask and find out if it was okay or not okay. All right? Remember that because badikas are judged so strictly, we never perform a badika unless we're halachically required to do so or the Rav specifically advises us to do so. So if you see a stain, don't do a badika. Stains, as you, you've had that class already, I think, stains are judged more leniently than a badika, so don't run to do the badika. After a gynecological exam, unless the Rav told you to do it, don't do it because... Maybe there was a, a little scratch or something that would come up and then you open up a whole can of worms that you have to deal with. A woman is never halachically required to look into the toilet bowl after use and she is never required to look at her tissues after use. Train yourselves to not look. I'd say go to the bathroom with sunglasses and in the dark, flush before you get up, Go around, no, 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 just flush it, do whatever you have to do, but don't look, because looking only raises confusion and shilas, okay? And we're never required. You're expecting your period, it's going to come. It's like, you know, when you first have, anybody that's pregnant, and, and, and whoever isn't should be very soon, but anyone that's having, it, you always want, well, am I going to sleep through labor? You know, like, will I, will I not realize, how will I know I'm in labor if I'm sound asleep? Uh, I can promise all of you, and if you haven't gotten there yet, you should get there immediately. Uh, but Ezra Hashem, nobody slept through labor yet in the history of humankind. So uh, same way your period, you're not going to miss it. If you're having your period, you'll get it. Don't look into the toilet, and don't look into the toilet bowl. All right. Any, remember also that besides the exception that we're going to learn about it today, Every badika that we do is final. We can't just say, oh, do the, oh that one, big dika, oh, it's got a shyla in there, I'll throw it away, I'll do another one and just throw that one out. No, we can't. Every badika is final and a shyla must be asked. There will be the one exception that we'll talk about today, the Hefzik Okay? Um, 
All right, inspecting the cloth, it is important for us to always check the cloth after the badika by good daylight. Now, I have to do, I have Sektara and I'm in, in an office building and there's no windows. What do I do? Okay. Look at it in good electric lighting. I, I, usually when I teach him in my, in my house in the room that has the most worst lighting ever, I say, not this. But if you do have good, bright lights, and you look at it and it's free of any questionable colors, it's okay. If there is a question, fold it in on itself, put, wrap it in a clean white tissue and save it to look at in daylight. And if it still has a questionable color in daylight, then you'll give it in for Shyla. I'll talk, I have one here. I'm in, I, have, I have it. I'm gonna talk about Shyla's in a minute. Um, okay, but if it looks clean of any stains and colors in a good, strong electric light, then it's free, it's good, you're good to go. Um, the cloth may be examined while it's still damp. Okay, never a problem. And again, once you see it's free of any questionable colors, throw it out and don't get all OCD and go pick it out of the garbage can and look at it again. You looked at it, it's clean, it's good, gone. Next, all right. Remember that stains are judged by every color that's on it. So even though much of it may be of an okay color, but if there's even the smallest bit of the, a questionable color or a not okay color, a Shila needs to be asked. Now, if you haven't done so already, I don't know how long any of you are married, um, but it's always good in the beginning of marriage to give in the Shilas. You're going to have more Shilas because you're, you're, it's a learning time. But always ask the rub. If the rub gives back a sh an answer that it's okay, and you know this is a color that you get a lot of the time, ask the rub, do I always have to ask about this, or is this color always okay? And same in the reverse. If it's not okay and the rub says it's not good, do I always have to ask, is it always not okay, or should I ask each time? All right? Any time that you have difficulty getting to the mikvah, in other words, there, you keep having issues with your stains, I mean, with your badikas and you have staining that keeps causing you uh, to have a delay to get to the mikvah, never hesitate to reach out and ask the rub, okay? Because again, as you learned about becoming nida, there are many things that can happen. So if it's, if it's not the norm, fine, we know when we have our period, it's our period. But if it's not the norm, then do yourself a favor and ask a shila because we only see it when it comes out. We don't see what's going on inside, and the rub, as you probably learned, may send you to the bodekas to see what's happening. All right? Okay. Before we can do a hefsektara, once a woman becomes nida, she is required to wait a minimum of five days before she can perform the hefsektara. What does this mean, and what is the reason? Why do we have to wait five days? The reason is when a woman, and it doesn't have to be a full 24-hour five days, when a woman becomes nida, that day is day one. So let's say she became, she saw something anywhere from after Shkia on Sunday to before Shkia on Monday. Monday is day one, okay? Even if it was 20 minutes before Shkia on Monday afternoon, Monday's still day one. She needs to count a minimum of five days before she can do a hefsiktara. So it would be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. This, by the way, is why Hashem gave us five fingers, in case you were wondering. Okay? All right. Um, now, why does she have to wait five days? 
The answer is, do you all remember when you learned about Matan Torah and Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, tell the men to separate from their wives, three days before Matan Torah? Do any of you know the reason? Zera. Good. Very good. So the reason Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu to tell the, women, the men to separate was so that this was for the benefit of the women, so that the women could tevil in the mikvah in preparation for Matan Torah. Why did they have to have three days of no relations? Because the zera that is released by the husband is, has halachic significance up to 72 hours after release. Okay? Now, that, why? Because it actually survives within a woman's body up to 72 hours where it has the ability to fertilize an egg and cause conception. However, once it's discharged from a woman's body, it dies within about 20 minutes. And then it has, because it still had that life to it, it has a status of tumma. So the seven nikiim need to be free not only of all blood, but they also have to be free of any zera that could have halachic significance, because that's the first three days. So that means the earliest we'd be able to do hafsaktara would be on day four. And there are actually some groups of svardim that hold day four is okay to do hafsaktara. However, we, are, we hold that we have to wait a fifth day. Why did the chachamim add a fifth day? They added a fifth day because in case a couple would have relations, bein hashmoshris, you know, that time between shkia and, and nacht, they might mistakenly count the day before as day one instead of the day after the way they should. And that would make them, bring them to the mikvah too, or to do hefsektara too early. Therefore, they added on a fifth day. Now, one second. And Torah does not ask you guys, any of us, to make, oh wait, when did we have relations? What time was it? What day was it? Write it down, make note. No. If you were halachically permitted to your husband, then from when you see you became nida, that is day one. Doesn't ask us to remember when we had relations last. The, as soon as we see we became nida, that is day one. Whether you had relations the day before, or three days before, or 10 days before, it's irrelevant. This is what halacha tells us, okay? Now, once this five-day minimum has passed, we are then able to attempt our hefsek tahara. So I've had many times people will ask me, well, today's day five, but I'm actively still bleeding, and it's very normal for a period to last six days, sometimes more. Do I have to do my hefsek tahara today? And I always answer, you know what? The smart thing is go to the bathroom about an hour or two before you would do your hafsiktara and see if you're flowing red blood, leave it for another day. But if you see it's brownish or it's the tail end and washing could clear it away, then go ahead and try for it. You may get lucky and save yourself a day. All right? If a woman is ever uncertain of when she became nita, this is a shaila for the Rav, when her five-day minimum would begin. And the way I teach my kalas is, make use of technology. Whether your husband's sitting right next to you, when you see that you became nida, send him a text. 
You can use any language you want. You can say, I, I saw the birds, I saw the balloon, I saw a red rose, whatever you want. Use your own lushness in case anybody's over your shoulder, they won't know what you're talking about. But tell him this. Because I, I deal with the tech support for the, for the mikvah calendar, and I can tell you how many times over the years that I have had emails and calls. I don't remember exactly when my period began. I don't remember if it was before Shkia or after Shkia. I don't remember if it was Monday or if it was Tuesday. A lot's going on in my life. And it's true, we're Baruch Hashem very busy. And we think we're going to remember everything, but we don't. So send your husband a text. It's on both your phones, the date, the time, and you can't, you can't miss it, okay? Now, another thing that is important to note, because we have to wait this five-day minimum, if you ever travel and cross the date line in the middle of that five-day minimum, remember that from New York to Australia, you're going to lose a day. So if you got your period in New York on Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if you stayed in New York, would be day five. And if you traveled to Australia or Asia where you crossed the date line, you are going to lose a day. Friday will only be day four. You have to add a day. And coming back, if you got your period in Australia or China and you're coming back, you got it on a Monday, coming back here, Friday would already be day six. You'd gain a day. So always be in touch with the Rav to make sure that you're calculating correctly if you wind up taking that lovely trip to the down under or crossing the date line. Okay? Now, what are, there are some exceptions to this five-day minimum. Because we, we just explained the reason for the five-day minimum, so any time that the Sheva and Nakim are interrupted, we know sometimes it's very normal. You did your Sektara on, on Friday, and Monday I had a, I had a questionable badika. The Rav said it's not good, or we had some staining on our underwear or whatever. What do we have to do? We have to do a new Sektara and start our count again right? This is all completely, completely normal. So what you need to know, hi, is that as soon as you stop bleeding, you, you already waited the five-day minimum. There was no halachic opportunity for you guys to be together. Therefore, as soon as you see you stop bleeding the same day even, you are permitted to do a new hefsek tahara on the same day. You do not have to wait the five-day minimum again. If you ever had an, a, a, any kind of medical procedure or staining that did render you nida, your five-day minimum would begin from there, even if your period only started a few days later. Okay? So once you become nida, that's when the five-day minimum starts. And you don't have to do another five-day minimum unless you went to the mikvah first. Okay? Um, if you ever got my period, did my hefsek tahara, and my husband was called out of town on an urgency. By the time he came back, I got another period. You don't have to do another five-day minimum. You never got to the mikvah. There was no halachic opportunity to be together. Again, no need to wait so the five-day minimum. Every day till that would be a shaila for the rub of how... Oh. No, no, she got another period. Oh. oh, so it didn't make a difference. Okay, okay. She'd have to do a new hefsektara. She'd have a new hefsektara, yes. Um, after childbirth. According to halacha, after the birth of a boy, a woman is halachically permitted to do hefsektara the very same day she gave birth if she wasn't bleeding. After a boy. After a boy. So the earliest mikvah after birth of a boy is 
do have Saktara the day you gave birth, count Shev and Akim and go to the mikvah. One, one second. After the birth of a baby girl, you have to wait a minimum of seven days before you could, not five, but seven days before you can do a half Saktara and then count Shev and Akim. So earliest mikvah after birth of a baby girl is after 14 days. So the night of, of the night on of day 15. Does anybody know the reason for this? Exactly. And the nida is to do with the loss of life. The, the nida is the vacuum, the tumma created by the life so leaving your body. You, it's a double. It's a double loss. Exactly. Very why good. I, remember that? I happen to think it's a very beautiful <laughs> yeah. thing. So maybe that's why you remembered it. Uh, Rahman Litzland, loss of pregnancy. There is a difference halachically if it's a loss of pregnancy of over or under forty days duration, counting from mikvah. If it's under 40 days from mikvah, it's like a period, it's a five-day minimum. If it's over 40 days from mikvah, it's like a birth, halachically. And if the gender of the fetus is known, boy or girl, then we act accordingly, either right away or as soon as we stop bleeding, or a minimum of seven days before Efsiktara. But if the gender is unknown, then they, we err on the side, we act on the side, rather, that it could have been female and therefore a minimum of seven days. Also, please understand, you'll learn that with Hefzaktar, we'll talk about it, but we don't go to the mikvah after birth until the doctor has um, told us that we are healed and ready to resume intimacy. If there is another reason that a woman may feel she needs to go earlier and she stopped bleeding, but the doctor feels it was a traumatic birth or whatever and she needs more healing time, then that would be a shila for the Rav on what to do. Okay? Um, okay. Once the five-day minimum has passed, and remember that the, it starts from when you see that you are bleeding. So if you woke up at 7 o'clock in the morning and went to the bathroom and see that your period began, 7 o'clock in the morning is what we mark as the start of the period. If you run in after work, 6 p.m., run to the bathroom, my period began, 6 p.m. is what we mark as the start of the period. We don't wonder, did it start while I was sleeping at 6 o'clock? I was still turning over to the other side. Or maybe it started, I maybe felt something, maybe I got wet, I felt a little wetness on my way home from work. When you see it is when you mark the start of the period. Okay. Once the five-day minimum has passed, we are now ready to begin our count of the Shevenikim. But under no circumstances will this count begin without a valid and thorough Hefzik Tahara. Okay. It is important to note that the day the Hefsiktara is performed is never included in the count of the Shevanakim. We call it ground zero. The Shevanakim begin the next day. So if you perform a Hefsiktara on Sunday before Shkia, Monday is day one of the Shevanakim. Okay? The timing to do Hefsiktara. Lechatrila, the timing should be done close to Shkia. And it must be halachically completed before Shkia to be valid. If it is completed after Shkia, it is not valid. Now, if it's within a few moments, that's a shila for the Rav, because it, depending on the time of the year and the location, there is a few moments of wiggle room. But if it's more than a few moments, you can always check with the Rav, and it's always a good idea to do so. But if it's more than, than just those few moments, it generally will have to wait until the next day. All right, so the best time to begin is about 
20 minutes to a half hour before shkia. This gives you enough time to wash, as we will learn, and enough time to complete the Hefzik Tahara. The Hefzik Tahara differs from every other Badika that you will perform in two ways. Number one, it is the only Badika that we are supposed to wash ourselves to, before performing the Badika. Every other badika, we're supposed to do the badika before we wash because otherwise we're washing away the evidence that we're supposed to be checking for. The second way that the Hefsiktara differs from every other badika is that it is the only badika we are permitted to repeat for a good result. Why? Why are we allowed to permit? I just got through saying that every badika is final, but not the Hefsiktara. Why? Your nida already. You didn't start counting anything. Nothing's been calculated. So the only badika that matters is that last badika performed before shkia. All right? So halachically, you can do 100 attempts at hefsektara. There's only one problem. You'll probably turn yourself into chutney. So we suggest, depending how you feel, three times. If you feel you could squeeze in one more, a max, but three times really is about the limit or a woman will get dry, irritated, and it will cause issues of its own. If you see you're still having problems getting a clean badika, so if it's a shyla, put it on the side and proceed to the next step that we'll discuss. But if it's red, leave it and try again the next day, okay? Now, on Erev Shabbos or Erev Yom Tif, it is l'chatchila best to do the Hefzik before you go to Tzindlicht, and then go to Tzindlicht. If you find you're running late, then of course you're going to do all your washing. We'll discuss the washing in just a minute, and then run to Tzindlicht, but make sure you finish, do the Hefzik before Shkia. All right? Now, we all live busy lives. We're all running, going, coming, doing. Some people live in places where there's carpool. Everything is time-consuming, and we're busy people. So, shkia, right before shkia, that half hour before shkia, is sometimes at a very inconvenient time, or very hard to be anywhere private to do it. So what is the halacha? Are we allowed to do it a little earlier? Yes, we are. The first choice would be after plag hamencha. And if you look, I don't know if all of you have this app. It is the most wonderful app. I tell all my colleagues to download it, is called Hayyayim from Chabad.org. It's free. And, huh? The Hayyayim, yes. It's called Hayyayim. It's a H-A-Y-O-M. It's a little blue icon. It's put up by Chabad.org. And it is free. And create a username. And it enable your location services for this app because it'll pick up if you're ever in a different location. You'll enter your default location, but if you're somewhere else, it'll pick up the Zmanin. And if also, if you click on the menu on the upper left, there's something called notifications, and click on it, and you can opt to have a banner come across your phone that will remind you, let's say you want, let's say, half an hour before Shkia, or 20 minutes before Shkia, and before all the Zmanim that pertain to Taras Mishpacha, sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset, um, uh, nacht, um, and Plaga Mincha and Mincha Katana. So 
The first choice would be Minchukatana, and at different times of the year, it can actually be a significant amount of time uh, difference. Let me see if it'll come up here, and I can tell you. Sometimes it's actually even a two-hour difference between them. So halacha, again, lachatchila, we should do it as close to shkia as possible. However, b'shas hadachak, when it is necessary, any bedika done after mincha katana does not require a shaila. All right? Now, see, look at today. Today's shkia was at 8.01. Plag mincha was at 6.36. That would be your first choice. And mincha katana was at 5.05. Goodness sake, that's almost three solid hours earlier. And that can make a significant difference if we got to go pick up the kids in carpool or we've got to get on the train and come home from work. No, it's mincha katana. It's a halachic zman. Don't ask me how to calculate it. No, it has to do with the, it's halachic zman. There's mincha gedola, there's mincha katana. It's, it's different things. Um, all right, so again, lechatchila, close to shkia, must be completed before shkia to be valid. After that, the closer to shkia, of course, is better. Plag ha-mincha would be one choice. And anything after mincha katana, which is the earliest, that it can be done without having to ask a shaila. If something was done earlier, for whatever reason, you were boarding a plane or whatever the case may be, where you or you, whatever it was, you can do it and ask a shaila later. Now, I always say there's a very nice tip. This is just a practical tip. If you wake up on the morning of day five or six when you see you have not bled since the day before, you woke up, it's clean, and you want to oh boy, today I could really attempt my hefsiktara, but oh goodness, I've got four appointments, I'm going to be traveling, driving, on the highway, this, that, that, whatever. Where am I going to be? How am I possibly going to be able to do a badika later? So, my suggestion, and this is just a suggestion, Mrs. Klein did not tell anyone to do hefsiktara in the morning. I'm giving a suggestion. If you see in that morning you've got a crazy day and you were free of bleeding that morning, wash yourself, do a thorough bedika b'charim u'bistoikim before you leave the house. Take bedika cloths with you. Take wet wipes with you in your purse. Put on white, well-fitting underwear and put on a white panty liner in case you do stain again or something, okay? Now, if you remain blood-free and you do your utmost to try to get to a bathroom or closet or a room where you can do a, a hefsektara closer to shkia, at least after mincha katana. But if you didn't, the next time you looked at your wash, oh my goodness, it's too late. Pick up the phone and call the rav. Tell him what happened. I did this badika in the morning. I've been wearing white all day. It's clean. May I rely on that badika in the morning and, as my hefsektara and start my count the next day. Remember, even if it's done in the morning, you would not start the count that day. And the rav will paskin yes, or no. It gives you a chance to have saved a day. All right? Again, do your best to try to do another badika closer to shkia, but if not, ask a shaila. If a woman is traveling on a plane and she's leaving very early from wherever she's departing, and when she gets there, it's already going to be nighttime, on the plane, it's sometimes very difficult to determine exactly what time it is. Where is, where is it light? Where is it dark? When is shkia? What is it? So always ask a shaila of the rov about when to do that hefsiktara at that time. Okay? Okay.
Washing in preparation for the Hefsiktara. A woman should wash herself, preferably her whole body, take a good shower. And you can do this in the morning before you leave. Please don't control. It's being recorded. Um, she, she can take a good shower in the morning before she leaves the house. That's great. And she can take with her, you know, the individually wrapped wet wipes and badika cloths and white underwear. And she can do this on the go wherever she is. Now, I've learned this over the years. We should never need it for any other reason, but handicapped bathrooms usually provide a larger space to move around. And many times they have a sink in the actual stall, which is very convenient. If you have to do a hefsiktara on the go, you can go into there, wash yourself with your hand, clean yourself, and do the hefsiktara. Yes, no, just then, just take a wet wipe and wipe yourself. It's enough. Okay, so again, if it, a hefsiktara can be done any day of the year Shabbos, Yom Tov, Yom Kippur, Tishabov, and Loyalena with anyone sitting Shiva. You can use water from the Samavar on Shabbos or, you know, Yom Kippur. Um, use a klisheni so that you can add cold water to it. They even sell on, you can put it in, a, somebody suggested once a Negelwasser schissel, sit it on the toilet, uh, in, you know, into the toilet seat kind of, and you can take a zitz bath. Because it's not, it's, it's, if you have to just wash the external area, fine. But it is good to have a little water flowing into the vagina. It helps with your finger, then clean yourself out. All right? Um, they also make, I think, little portable zitz baths that you can sit onto the toilet. So with. You can do it on Shabbos. Again, you're using water from the samovar and just your hand, not a cloth or anything else. You clean yourself, yes. And again, um, if you are unable to do any of that or you're not in a place where you can do that, um, wipe. again, washing is to your advantage, to wash away any residue of your period that may be within the internal folds and so forth. So clean yourself if you're unable to take a complete shower later. And if, again, if you took it in the morning, it's fine. Then just clean private areas. At minimum, do try to wash between your legs, private areas. Again, it's to your advantage to do so. Some women like to do what is called douching, where they actually, it's like an inside shower. They insert something and squirt water inside. And if that's something that somebody wants to do, it's not medically advised, really. Um, plain water, maybe, but not, nothing more. Um, if somebody does do this or any washing internally, it is good to give yourself at least 15 minutes to allow natural moisture to replenish. Otherwise, the area will be very dry. When it's dry, it's very hard to maneuver and get a thorough badika performed. So wait about 15 minutes. Okay, now some, it is very common for women to experience some vaginal dryness, particularly at this time of month. Period ended and the other hormones haven't really kicked in to allow uh, vaginal moisture to be completely restored. So it is normal to have some vaginal dryness at this time. A woman is permitted to take the cloth and make it damp. That doesn't mean run it under the faucet and do a badika. That means that you can run it under the faucet, but then lay it on a clean um, white towel or white paper towel and let any excess water be drained off so that it is just damp. And do the badika with the damp cloth. If that does not help, if you still feel it's too dry, please pick up the phone and contact your Rav and ask him what you can do. A Rav needs to give brushus for you to use a clear oil about 10 minutes before the badika is performed. But this is a shila for 
the Rav if someone needs it. And there may be different times in life where you might find this necessary, and that's okay. It's very normal, common, so please check with your Rav. All right? Make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Okay. Once you have performed the Badika, and as I said, you may repeat this Badika to get a good result, but practically speaking, three times or so is sufficient so you don't irritate yourself. Check it very good by light. If it's clean and free of all Shilas, go to the next step. If it's already you did the three, you're too sore to try again, and it's also getting late and you want to get moving, and the last Badika has a Shila on it, put it on the side to ask a Shila of the Rav. Okay, and go, excuse me, to the next step. It is our obligation to show everything to the, to the Rav. And now these envelopes that are sold by mikvah.org, they're Shila envelopes. And on them, they say the date of the drop-off. They give the date and day that the Shila occurred. It tells, asks you if this is a Badika or something else. And to the Rav, the question how to mark this onto your calendar, which is very important. And it has here, if it's, if it's one of the Chodesh calendar dates, if it's the Hefsektara, if it's the Machdachov, if someone has a Kavua, and if it's one of the Badikas of Sheva Nakiim, check the box and write down any details as well as contact information. Am I breastfeeding? Am, am, am I Kala? Am I uh, nursing? Do I have a, a UTI? Do I have... Um, an irritation or a yeast infection or whatever you think may have affected it, put these details down and, in, and submit your Shila. Remember, the Shila can be folded in on itself, wrapped in a clean white tissue or paper towel, and put it into the envelope. All right. Um, okay, so we go, once we have done the Hefsiktahara, and we go to the next step. But it's important for me to explain to you that the Hefsiktahara should never be delayed. It's Wednesday, I can do my Hefsiktara today, but I know my husband's going to be out of town next week on Wednesday for his sister's uh, bas mitzvah, I don't know what, and um, he he's not going to be here for me to go to the mikvah, so why should I waste my time doing the Hefsiktara now? Okay? Or he has an expen ex a, 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 a very important business trip that was scheduled months ago that he has to go, he's not... Hefsiktara should be done on time for two reasons. Number one, the Hefsiktara is very important for our calendar calculations. So yes, this is another time, send your husband a text when you have done the Hefsiktara. Another reason is circumstances may change. That important business trip that was canceled, that was scheduled three months ago may be canceled for some reason. Never delay doing the Hefsiktara thinking that you may not get to the mikvah. You do the Hefsiktara and leave the rest to the Abishter. And there's actually a very lovely story told about um, Rabav Ram and his wife. Rabav Ram was the father of the Maggid of Mizrich, and he was a Malamid in a neighboring town. And, of course, in those days, travel was very expensive and difficult, so he didn't come home every night after work like, you know, our husbands do. Um, and he would come home as frequently as he could, but it generally would be very seldom, but he always tried to get home when he knew his wife had to go to the mikvah. Well, one day, and the, the Rebbetzin always made sure to do her hefsiktara on schedule and be ready to go to the mikvah so that when he came home, she could go to the mikvah. Well, one day, it was her day to go to the mikvah. She had done her hefsik. Everything was done on schedule, and a terrible storm broke out. 
and the, she was certain that he wouldn't get home, so she didn't go to the mikvah. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, very late that evening, he came home. And she went running over to the mikvah, and she went to the mikvah, and she comes to the mikvah, and the mikvah lady says, I'm really sorry, but I've been here all night, and it's really, really late, and please come back tomorrow. And the Rebison was very upset, and she tried to explain, but very dejected, she was walking home, and as she's walking home, a beautiful carriage pulls up, the door opens, and a very elegant woman says, excuse me, you look very upset. Is there something that we can help you with? And she indicates three other ladies in the carriage. And though, of course, we don't usually tell anyone it's our night to go to the mikvah, but the Rebison was so overwhelmed that she said, I will explain what happened. And the woman smiled at her and says, come with us. We're all on our way. Certainly she's not going to turn all of us away. And she went, and she tabled. And in those days, it was customary for the attendant who had overseen the tevila to write a little note testifying that she saw the tevila and it was kosher, and a woman would present this to her husband when she came home. And the Rebetzin was so excited to get home that she ran out, forgot to take the note. She remembered in the middle of the way and, again, was very upset, and all of a sudden a note fell down from Shemaim, and she picked it up, and it said that her tevila was kosher. She came with the note, she came running into the house, and Rabbi Avram, when she walked in, he closed his safer and he looked up at her. He took a deep inhale and he said, what is that beautiful fragrance? Something happened, please tell me everything that happened tonight. And she told him everything and she handed him the note. And he looked at the note and he said, those were no four ordinary women. This fragrance is the fragrance of Ganadin, and those were the four Imahos that came to help you. And that night, the Maggot of Mezrish was conceived. It is said that the Rebbe of Karlin had this note, and he would occasionally take it out, look at it, and kiss it. So, very special. So do the Hefsiktahara on time? Okay? All right. Once we have done the Hefsiktahara Badika, it is time to go to the next step, which is called the Moch Dochok. Moch Dochok, I believe it means a compressed cloth, and what we are required halachically to do is to take a new clean cloth that we have checked on all sides, and we take it and... We are not halachically required to do a thorough bedika b'charim ubistoikim with this cloth. What we are required to do is to insert it into the vagina and push it up with our fingers, deep as it will go, leave this little tail to catch it later, and we put it inside, and this needs to be inserted before shkia. It remains inserted until tzeis hakochavim, which is approximately 30 minutes, give or take, depending on the time of the year. All right? At that time, after Tzeis HaKochavim, we take it out, we look at it, we then fold it in on itself, wrap it in a clean white tissue or paper towel, and put it in a safe place where it will not get lost, thrown out, or dirtied. We save it to look again in the morning, because it says, shivas yomim. She should count seven days. It means we need a daytime examination of it. Okay? So... But what happens if we had a shila on that last vidika of the Hefzikhtahara? We then have an opportunity to get in one last vidika before Shkia, and that's with the Machdochuk. So if there was a shila on that last vidika, put it on the side, make sure you mark that's the Hefzikhtahara. And then, instead of just inserting the Machdochuk vidika cloth, perform a 
Fluoro bedika, bacharim ubistoikim, one full rotation and don't take it out, and then push it up, leave it inside, and take it out after tseisa kochavim. If this machdachuk has no questions on it, it's free of any problematic or questionable colors, it can then double as both the hefsek tahara and the machdachuk. So again, save it to check again in the morning by daylight. And if yes, you can throw away the shaila hefsek tahara bedika that was before this. So this then becomes the last bedika before shkia and does double duty as hefsek tahara and machdachuk. Okay? If it has a shaila, then it has to be submitted to ask, you know, to ask a shaila on it. All right? When the machdochok is inserted, we are not permitted to walk outside with, on Shabbos or Yom Kippur with, unless there is a valid Erev in that area, okay? Some women will say, well, how about if I just used a tampon for my machdochok? I can walk outside with a tampon. Yes, you can, as long as you're wearing the tampon for your period, but not when you're wearing the tampon for a machdochok. You cannot walk outside with it, so stay home until you can remove it. All right? Okay. Now, once, once the hefsiktara has been completed and the machdochok has been completed. Now, regarding the machdochok, if you did that earlier badika, the machdochok should never be inserted longer than necessary, which means we put it in right before shkia and we remove it at seisakachavim because when it is inside, it's absorbing any natural moisture and it can cause irritation, which would then make a shaila on the cloth. So even if you did that earlier, bedika for the hefsek tahara, wait and then find a corner anywhere and get into a closet and insert the machdochuk. And if you didn't have an opportunity to do that, then you pick up the phone and call the rov and say, I did this earlier hefsek tahara. I was unable to insert the machdochuk. Is it still okay? And the rov will answer you. Another thing that's important to know is that if a woman has irritation, sensitivity, some women have very, very thin vaginal tissue that is very, gets very sore. If a woman ever has difficulty, always ask the Rav, what can I do? And the Rav will advise, all right? So the Hefzik Tahara checklist to recap, begin at least 20 minutes to a half hour before Shkia. Bathe, shower, or at the very minimum, wash the private areas between your legs. Wash your hands. Check the cloth carefully on all sides before use. Wrap the cloth around your finger till it covers at minimum the second knuckle. Insert the cloth into the vagina as your finger, cloth covered finger, as far as it will go, and do one complete rotation, Bachirim Ubisdaikim, around the internal vagina, which is, like I said, round, it's a tube. So go in carefully, reaching carefully, gently. You don't poke and hurt yourself. Gently press into the internal folds and crevices. If the cloth has questionable colors, you may repeat it. Again, I suggest three, max of four times, and that's only, that's only really if you really don't feel irritation. Um, and then insert a clean cloth as the machdochuk, if there was any shaila on the last hefsektara bedika, you perform a complete thorough bedika b'charim ubistoikim with the machdochuk and, and use it as both. Remove the machdochuk after tseis kachavim, and 
Again, the Hefsektahara must be completed before Shkia to be valid. The Machdachok must be inserted before Shkia to be valid. Once we have done the successful Hefsektahara, or even the questionable Hefsektahara, we put on um, well-fitting white underwear, a complete garment. The waistband, the, the leg holes, everything has to be white, not just the crotch. And we are now, and there should be also a white sheet on the bed for us to sleep. Now, there are some families that have a masora, minhag, of surrounding themselves with white. That's very beautiful. If that's your family custom, that's great. Halacha requires that what is next to your, closest to your body, which is the white, well-fitting underwear, is required. The white sheet is minhag, minhag yisrael, that we hold, so put on a white sheet. If anyone has uh, an issue with that, that is a shila for your own rav. Okay, we are now ready to begin the Shevanakim, which, remember, begins the next day. Okay, so again, to repeat, I have Sektahara performed on a Monday before Shkia. Day one of Shevanakim will be Tuesday. All right? Mikvah will be the same exact day that the Hefsiktara was performed the following week after Tzaysakachavim. That means after a complete count of the seven days. The Shevanakim is a count of seven days following the successful Hefsiktara, and these seven days need to be free of all bleeding. Seven days that are consecutively free of any and all bleeding. If during any of the seven days, even at the very end of the seventh day, a woman finds an unacceptable or questionable stain, and all stains need to be shown to the rub to determine status. The previous count of days is invalidated, and she needs to perform a new hefsiktahara and start a new count of the shevanakim again. She does not have to wait the five-day minimum. A woman may not immerse in the mikveh unless she has completed the full count of the Shevanakim, uninterrupted by any problematic stains or bleeding. The tevila will not be valid if the Shevanakim were not complete. Okay? Now, in the event that someone finds themselves somewhere where they do not have access to white underwear or to a white sheet, the shas hadachat, extenuating circumstances, a woman may still perform her hefsiktahara and she may begin her count, making sure that the underwear she does have and the sheet linens she does have are clean and free of any stains. And she should make it her business to get the white underwear and sheet as soon as possible. And in today's modern world, it's, unless you're going off planet, it's pretty easy to get hold of some white underwear and white uh, sheet. Okay? A woman, we wear this white. And we sleep on white for what purpose? So that we can see if anything untoward is happening because we're supposed to remember remain blood-free for seven days. So a woman has an obligation to check her white underwear throughout the day, certainly when she gets dressed in the morning, when she wakes up in the morning, when she, uh, before she goes to bed at night, and anytime she goes and uses the bathroom during the day. Check your underwear. Check your sheet before you get into it. Make sure it's clean before you even get into the bed. And check it when you wake up in the morning. I once went to go to bed, and there are these lovely little brown spots all over my sheet. How did they get there? I didn't even get into the bed yet. But then I found the culprit, a nice chocolate milk sippy cup that was sitting on the side mm -hmm. that they thought they were making nice 
you know, finger paints all over the sheet. It looks really great. Anyway, but always make sure you check the sheet before you get in. in your there you go. And check it when you wake up in the morning. So check it before you get into bed and check it in the morning when you wake up. A woman is halachically required to perform two bedikas every day of the Sheva Nikim. The first one should be performed in the morning after sunrise. The second should be performed in the afternoon before sunset. Now, let's say you live somewhere where sunrise is pretty late in the wintertime and I've got to get out and go to work. What should I do? Well, if you're afraid that you're going to miss doing it altogether, the earliest it's permitted to be done halachically where it would still count would be after um, dawn. Anything done before dawn doesn't count. It's still night. Uh, but again, after sunrise is the right time. Now, I always say, where's the first thing you do in the morning? You wash you get up, you wash Nagelwasser, and then where do you go? Bathroom. Make a habit for yourself that you don't leave the bathroom after that first morning visit until you have performed your morning bedika. Okay? It will stand you in good stead. And if your home, nobody else is going into your bathroom. If it's your dedicated bathroom, or leave them on the tissue box, leave them on the roll of toilet paper, leave it on the counter where you're going to wash your hands so that you don't forget. Make it a habit. Because this way you know that you have at least gotten one badika in for the day. Take badika cloths with you. If you have a book bag, a purse, a car, you're in the car all the time, leave them anywhere. I say if you are going to people's, if you're going to your, your in-laws or your mother's house or somewhere, all the time for Shabbosim or your sister or somewhere, leave a package somewhere hidden in a bedroom, in a closet somewhere, so that you know you have them when you have to use them so you don't have to go running out on an early Friday Shabbos afternoon after the meal. In my house, I keep in my downstairs bathroom a package of pads, a package of badik cloths, and all of my family are informed. No one has to ask. It belongs to whoever needs it. Go into the bathroom. Everything's there. Don't have to ask. When I see they're running low, I restock. And I think it's a good idea for most people that have married children to do this because nobody is comfortable really asking, hey, do you have a badika cloth? And it's not very, very comfortable. So in any case, if you do go a lot to other people's houses, or if you go away a lot for Shabbos, leave a package in your carry-on bag or whatever, your garment bag, whatever you take with you, and leave one in your suitcase so that no matter where you go at the last minute, it's in there. You've got it. Okay? Um... Every badika that is performed needs to be performed in the same thorough manner as the Hefzik Tahara, Bacharim, Ubistoikim, one complete rotation. The results of every badika are final. So if you have a shaila, it needs to be submitted to the Rav for status. Is it okay or is it not okay? And remember, every time you submit a shaila, you can send your husband a text for that too. All right? Because if the shaila turns out to be no good, you've got it there. Time, date, stamp, done. All right. Um, um, let me just see. Okay. A little advice. It's sometimes helpful. You are permitted to take a wet wipe and just wipe yourself externally. Don't press into the inside. Don't do anything. Because sometimes there may be a little bit of feces, you know, poop or something on there that you don't want to get onto your bodega cloth. Just clean yourself. Just a quick wipe outside. Nothing external. I mean, internal. Sorry. Nothing internal. Now, if a woman, remember, halacha requires all 14 badikas. If a woman, we're human, somewhere we're going to get stuck or we're going to forget or we're going to, you know, miss a badika, what do we do? 
So it's always a good idea to call the first time and ask the Rav. And do I have to ask if this happens again? If a woman has difficulty getting to the mikvah, she's having problems with badikas, whether it's she keeps getting stains or she keeps having issues, remember, Torah is not looking to keep husband and wife separated. It wants you together, batara. So do your utmost. If you have issues getting clean, don't suffer in silence. Pick up the phone, call the rav. Sometimes a rav may advise someone to do less badikas, to omit a machdahu. Sometimes they'll even may advise, don't wear white. But this can only be told to you on the psak of a rav. We never determine this on our own. The very minimum amount of badikas that will allow a woman to get to the mikvah, hepsik tahara, at least one on day one and at least one on day seven. And most rabbanim, even if they advise to do less badikas, will advise to do one somewhere in the middle because if a woman forgets day seven, she may have to, if she didn't do any in the middle, she may have to start the whole Shavanikim over again. All right? But again, this is only on direction of a rav. We don't purposely omit badikas. Just because we know we can get to the mikvah anyway, we don't purposely omit them. And I have a very nice story that was sent to me by a shlucha um, who said she, she has a shul, her Chabad house. And one day, a from woman from the community, not Chabad, um, Shabbos morning, came in with her husband to shul. And she made her feel welcome. And when the davening was over, the woman went over to her and says, thank you very much for making me feel welcome. My husband actually wasn't feeling very well this morning. And, he, and then he needed a little more sleep. And by the time he woke up, he realized he missed the minion in, in our shul. And we know Chabad generally starts later. So we came so he could daven you know, properly with a minion. Um, but I was wondering if I could speak to you privately for a moment. And she said, sure. And she said, I wanted to ask you your advice. Do you have any advice for me? We've been married for a few years, and we've not yet been blessed with the bracha of children. Do you have any advice for me? And the shlucha thought for a minute, and she says, you know, it's very interesting because I just actually heard a story from someone who didn't have children for a while, and she wrote into the Rebbe, and the Rebbe told her to be very makpid in her observance of Taras Mishpacha. And she came home, and she told, and when she got the answer, she told her husband, she said, we're pretty careful, but you know what? If the Rebbe said to be makpid, let's review the halachas again, and let's see what, maybe there's something that we, we've been omitting. She reviewed the halachas with her husband, and she realized that the one area she was a little bit lax in, not so careful, was in performing all 14 of the badikas of the Sheva Nikim. She said, I realized, I, I knew I could get to the mikveh anyway, so if I missed one here and I missed one there, I wasn't so diligent about it. And sure enough, she, Baruch Hashem, was blessed with children. And as she's telling this woman the story, the woman turns white, and then she turns red, and she said, how did you know that that's me? Thank you very much. And she went home, and Baruch Hashem, a few months later, she came in to let her know that she was Baruch Hashem, expecting she had gone home and taken upon herself the hachalata to be very careful with all of her badikas, and Baruch Hashem was blessed with children. Okay. If at any time, you, again, you have difficulties with the machdohok or difficulties performing a badika, always check with the rov on what to do. Now, sometimes a doctor will advise a woman gynecologically to insert a, a, a gynecological suppository into the vagina or to um, 
clean herself with certain medications. If this occurs, a woman should ask the Rav what to do, um, when to do the badikas in relation to inserting this um, wash or medicine. Any stain found on your garment, your sheet, your clothing, your underwear, of course, has the follows the laws of kesamin. So in order for it to be a halachic issue, it needs to be of a certain size and so forth. A woman should be aware that she is counting the shavanakim. Now, some yidin actually have the minhag of saying it. Today's day one, today's day two, and so forth. Uh, in Chabad, we think about it. It's in our mind. Today's day one, badika for day one in the morning, badika for day two in the afternoon, and so forth. As long as a woman um, is aware of, she should be aware of her count and perform her badikas accordingly. Now, if somehow a woman stopped her count, something came up and she didn't think she'd get to the mikvah on time, and she stopped her count, if she continued doing her badikas, even though she didn't think of the count, she can still get to the mikvah on time. If she also stopped doing badikas, then it's a shaila for the rav when she can get to the mikvah. If a woman in error miscounted her shevanakim, which she wouldn't do if she sent her husband a text, <laughs> but if she miscounted and went to the mikvah too early, if she remembered before she was with her husband, she should finish her count and then re-immerse on the proper night. If she only remembered after she was with her husband, this is a shaila for the rav what to do to me betaken, and what she should do. If a woman has a shaila on a badika, or her underwear, or her linens, or whatever the case, her robe, whatever the case may be, during her shevanakim, it needs to be submitted to the rov for a shaila. So if it's in the morning, great. We take it in. We get an answer on the spot. We know, if it's okay, I don't have to do a new hefzakara today. We can continue our count. What happens if it's the afternoon badika? Most of us don't have enough time to get dressed again, run, find the Rav, show him the Shila, get back home if he says it's no good, and do a new Hefsektar. It's going to be a bit late. So what do we do? We do what is called a new just-in-case Hefsektar. We do not discount our previous count. So let's say it was day three. We don't say, oh, gosh, that, that count is probably not going to be good. I'll do a new one. No. We say, I'm doing a new Hefsektar, in case this badika, this shaila is not good, so that I don't lose a day. And you do the new badika, and it's on tonight. If that one is no good, then I start a new day one. Otherwise, I'm continuing my count, and it, this will be day four. If the next one is not good, and then if you can do it, is it fine? You do an extra one. What do you mean if you Let's do an you extra one? you had a shaila on day three, right? Yes. And you end up doing another one mm -hmm. in case, but then the next one might be worse. Than the one before. Well, it's either a choice of taking a risk of doing a, right, a new like one like, or losing a day if it wasn't good. Then you lose right, a day so till like, the next day. How do you know which way? You don't know. You if you are and each one is a shila, you're going to have to give in each one numbered, in, in, you know, you have to give them all in again because you're in the middle of a count. If the Rav will say that the original shila was okay, oh, well, I did I did these three more badikas to get a good hefsiktara, you're going to have to show them number one, number two, number three. You have to show them all, and they have to be numbered. So you could, but you'd have to show them all. Okay? You also have to kind of judge yourself. What, if it's it depends what it is. Right. If, it's, if it's a new red flow, then... Right, it's exactly. not up to the entire world. The rub usually needs to see it. No, no, but ask the boy to show you. 
say, if you, if you can reach the Rav at that in those few moments before Shkia. Okay. Asking a Rav is always a good idea. Remember as well that just like we have to be aware of the five-day minimum if we cross the date line, the same applies for Shevanakim and our mikvah. If you did a Hefsiktara in New York on a Wednesday and you traveled to China or Australia where you crossed the date line, the following Wednesday will not be day seven. It will only be day six. You have to add a day. Always check with a Rav if this occurs, and the same in reverse. Now, traveling to a place where you lose hours, like to Israel, California, Hawaii, Europe, it doesn't make a difference. If you did one in New York on Wednesday, you can get to the mikvah on Wednesday in any of those places because you're not crossing the date line and you're not losing the entire day. If tevila should ever be delayed, and we never delay tevila on purpose, I'm just about finished. We never delay tevila, I mean tevila without a very valid reason. I'm not going to say that it will never happen in your life, but it's not something we do lightly. Always check with the Rav regarding further bedikas until you can get to mikvah um, and further wearing of white because there are different opinions. And that is the class. Beautiful. Thank you. Yes, if you have any questions, now you can ask them. I'm happy to answer them. Thank What do you mean? You said that Nida time, the five days, is based on Zerah, versus yes. based on blood. It's new, new, I've never heard that before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you why, because when I start my... We hope you enjoyed today's recording. Please take a moment to leave a rating or a review to help others find the podcast. We welcome you to support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. For feedback, please email podcast at mikvah.org. Have a wonderful day.